Geralt's had a long night of games with with family and friends celebrating the holiday season. And today he's decided not to join us. Daryl Frankfort is no longer with the Canadian Real Estate Show. But I got a site for you. Yeah, I got a site for you. They had, I got a um, site for you. You want to buy a watch? Well, you hey. know what happens is this. The commercial guys, what they do is they go. This this was listed. You're supposed to stay away from guys like you right now. It, it, <laughs> it was listed with the commercial brokerages. You know, the guys who only sell commercial and, you know, know everything, right? Because it's not on the, the mainstream? Not not the low, not the low level, uh, you know, mixed residential and commercial guys like my, like myself. Like just... Are you even allowed to do both? Are they going to take away the right for you to be able to sell commercial and residential with the same license? That's what I'm hearing. No, they're just saying that they're going to give people like a specialty field, but you can get specialty in everything. So you can I say, thought like, it was a already a specialty specialist. for commercial. Like, don't you have to take an extra course or something for commercial? Everybody has to take the same course. All right. Well, that's yeah. good. So I mean, no, the answer is no. Hard okay. to hard no. Okay. Um, so super specialists like you that kind of put their feet in both waters yeah yeah right and so you they've got in. they've got um not all waters but there's some waters that i get my feet in anyways so the commercial brokerage that they're dear that they're dealing with you know put it out to a few of their own clients which is typical brought them some fantastic offers that fell apart fantastic offers that fall apart okay yeah, yeah. the prices those, right so they 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 those they, are most commercial agent specialties right <laughs> that's what i told them like, i said it's gonna be their own clients they brought up some big names of some big developers and they're like this guy offered this and this and i said yeah and they they want to not like have to pay another agent and they want to spend no money on marketing and they want to and the developer clients. has no idea that they're buying this right now either by the way these guys, they just throw around names and like they think they can put out offers oh, for yeah, developers yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. and like the speak on their behalf. And then it's like, it gets exactly. to the developers so, like, what the hell is this crap? It was one of, it was one of those situations where like, I'm not going to name names, but it was definitely one of those situations. So they called us and um, they want to make sure it's done properly. And so I always think of you first, Daryl. So, so we could figure out how to do it wrong and then you could put it out there and do it properly. No, I think that. <laughs> You should get a head start and we'll call up Greg Ewing so, and we'll work yeah. on it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Okay. I like it actually. I just, uh, well, you know, my, uh, although it's way bigger than I thought, cause it, oh, what I told huge. you, what I told you is, is there's actually other parcels involved Ooh. and, and available. So, yeah. so more than what you sent me. Yeah. I think it's like a total of like five acres, Ooh. more than five acres. Ooh. Right. Ooh. Where else, where can you get a five acre? That's like in the more city? than double. What you sent it was, me? Uh, what Wasn't it like one point eight or something? No, it was three points. My son, yeah. It's uh, it's good. Do the rest of the parcels have as many trees as the original parcel? No, the most trees are on. Actually, are no, you selling one, me a forest there's, TK? There's one parcel forest, that's all bro. trees, but those guys. It's another builder, but I know the agent that is like their cousin, so I'm gonna call him up and see because no one could crack the whip over there. But I know the guy really well. I've done a couple of deals with him, so um, it's all trees that one though. So. All tree? His is no all trees. Like <laughs> all trees. Oh. 
This oh, other true. one was basically all trees. Yeah, this is lit. No, no, the, the one that I um sent you initially initially is sixty uh, percent probably. Mm -hmm. yeah. This other one's a hundred percent. It's a landlocked piece, and it would only make sense to go in with this development. Makes no sense to go with anybody else. But it could be like it could be like seven. It could be like seven acres after all the neighbors and everybody. And he's like telling me he's like everybody wants it. So, but his alone is sure he's telling you that. I mean, no, but his alone is enough it. on its own. So I don't care what the neighbors do. His enough. Right. His alone is enough. Mm. So, TK, you're piquing my interest in a time in space where I don't want my interest peaked. Terms, baby. We'll get some good terms for it's you. It's terms time. But yeah. TK, what's new? Have you heard about what's going on with uh, Paradise Developments in Brampton? Unbelievable. You you tipped me off on this, actually. Did I did I tip you off on this one? But people oh, know about yeah. it. Anybody on Twitter, they oh know about it. Oh, my God. It's a real mess. And then yeah. today at uh, 1 o'clock or Saturday at 1 o'clock, there's a big rally being called for. Holy cow, man. It's crazy. Um, if I remember to post it up over here in the middle, uh, Ben Rabideau put up a really interesting tweet this morning that basically showed uh, the GTA real estate market in a nutshell i believe um first it's an ad for the subdivision saying like oh it's coming out and blah 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 1.5 million and sign up for your chance at getting one of these bad boys today right it was mm. virtual it was like lockdown mode right mm. and then you see you see somebody put a, a a response to it saying like can i get two with the sign up <laughs> <laughs> I'd like two, please. Thank you. Um, and then you you fast forward to now where there's like a, a, a sign up on Twitter where they're asking everybody for help. Uh, Ford, help us. And Tory, help us. And everybody help us and come out on whatever day and let's go pick it and show them. Um. The yeah. horrible, evil developers. Uh, Foch, boss Fo Foch had a post because I'm not on Twitter, but he, it was a post on uh, Instagram, Instagram that I saw. Yeah. Where yeah. he said, he said, like, would you share the upside with the developer? Sure. Right? If you made sure. money on that development, which is the, the reason the buyers were buying in the first place, would you say to the developer, hey, you know what? You guys sold it way too cheap. Now that it's closed, I made all this money. You know, here's your share, right? So sure. why, why should the developer share in the downside? They shouldn't legally, right? right? They absolutely should not legally, yeah. right? And they legally, these, these buyers don't have a leg to stand on. But, but I think that there's another issue behind the issue. So this is not just a bunch of reckless people that bought a house that they can't afford. These are reckless people that already own a house that they probably barely could afford. We're banking on selling that house in order to be able to afford this next record. To not purchase, afford the next one. Right. To yeah. just barely afford the next one. Yeah. As long as, you know, all the cousins and grandparents are on title. Yep. Right. And and so there may or may now, not have been some shady financing involved. I mean, I'm just saying the Brampton doubtful loan, in Canada, the, the right? Brampton loan, the Brampton loan has been not in, Brampton. in Brampton and the site is in Brampton. So I'm only I'm only drawing conclusions here. I don't know. So so got to look into it. You might be on to something, but I don't yeah. even think that's even part of this right now. I mean, it's probably a layer of it in the background. Right. Yeah. But right now, the developer decided that it was their best move to release the next phase of the development for like hundreds of thousands of dollars but hold less. on best best move like 
only move. Only move. What were they like? You think that they can carry that property and just let it sit there and not sell, knowing that prices are going down? No, that's not ideal either. Right. But but what what I'm saying is like there could they have released it at a price that buyers wouldn't buy it for? Could they have released it at a price no, from been... 2021? No one would pay for it. So no. their only move was to release the next phase at today's market price. A hundred percent. But what I'm saying is these guys are yeah. smart and they knew that the reaction would come. What it was going to be, they probably didn't realize it would be this, mm. right? But they knew the that there'd leftist. be a, rea a reaction. Listen, this happened in 2017 as well. And some of the big boys, they got... They got uh, into PR nightmares over it, right? Yeah. And I, from from what I know, they did give people money back. Me too. Uh, I, I don't know I how know much. Yeah. yeah, but I definitely heard of examples where people got and, and in the courts too. It didn't. It doesn't. It's not looked at favorably because it does impact the financing and everything else too. So there is, um, like, the reason they give back money is because a judge may award, right, less damages because of it. Well, I mean, but but in an environment like this, where your only remedy is to take people to court, and if you have like 100 of them or 50 of them, this is not ideal either. Even if you're going to win in the end, what are you going to win? When somebody's all their equity and life savings is in a house that's falling in value fairly yeah. rapidly at least has fallen fairly rapidly. You can't get blood out of a stone, yeah. You can't get blood out of a stone. Yeah. So what the fuck is the developer winning when he wins? Nothing, nothing. Maybe because there's 18 people on title, you might be able to squeeze enough blood out of the stone. Yeah. But like the reality of the situation is, this is Brampton, yes, but this isn't only happening in Brampton. Right. Mm. Like this happened in Burlington and Stouffville and Georgetown Pickering, and, Pickering yep. and Durham. And like it happened all over the place. So so now we have like places in Georgetown that sold out at 1150 a square foot. And they're going to hopefully maybe I mean, if they even get construction financing in this environment. But like if it goes through, are these people actually going to close? Is it going to be worth 1150 a square foot in three, four years from now? No. I don't know. Who Nobody knows? knows, but like maybe our guest knows. Let's bring them in. <laughs> but I don't know. That's for sure. I think we were in some really unique think... situation where there's a lot of fear, low interest rates, and people thought, "Man, if I don't do something, I'm never gonna own real estate." Good All right, morning, Austin. Welcome. Austin, look at the setup CK. he's got. Daryl, how's it going? Good. He's nice to right meet in you. There. He's 10 steps ahead of us. I guarantee it. Hey, <laughs> look, at this. when I turn my screen down here, you'll, you'll see how dirty everything actually is. Oh, no, big no. Deal. no big deal. This is how you work I, it. Exactly. This how exactly. It That's how you stay cash flowing out there, right? You can't be out there living frivolously. There you go. <laughs> what's what's new? I mean, I Austin. So the first time I saw. I'm not sure if I saw you on social media first or if I read an article about you first. It was around the same time though. It was probably 2020, mm -hmm. right? And it was just the like the Toronto you know, Life article. Yeah. Yeah, and, some time uh, ago. Yeah, controversial was that, article. Was that no, it was a great article. <laughs> what was and, it? Uh, Talk to me. What was the controversial article? We like controversy here. Yeah, article. so 
Go ahead. Awesome. Oh, you want to go know first? better than me? No, you go. Okay, you know yeah. better than me. So it was an article published at Toronto Life, published by myself. Not really myself. They get a writer to write on me, and I, they just interview me. But basically, it was the story of how I accumulated. At that time, it was 18 properties. Um, of course, you know, when you're doing successful in real estate and you're acquiring investment properties, the general public is not too fond of that. So it took off. Um, I was working at a big five bank at the time. So everyone in the bank also read it. And uh, yeah, it's uh, not not an article a lot of people liked <laughs> because it, it it came off as when did I think, it come out? Some people gloating. It was well, uh, well how old were you? That the whole point of the article was your age. You were like 25 or 25 something. at the time. Yeah. yeah. So that's oh, what it was. I think right? I read this article. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's something to talk about. It's not like 43-year-old Austin has been collecting properties since he was. It's like, look, in this short amount of time, inspiring the younger generation, like you can do it too. I thought it was a great article. Mm -hmm. So appreciate it. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, sure. It just, it came out at a time where investors were and are kind of uh, seen as demonic today yeah. right like you guys are screwing up the market and you're pushing up values and you're ruining everything but th obviously that's not how we feel this is just like sentiment so so did you get mauled pretty badly after that oh it, it was terrible yeah but like i didn't <laughs> let it get to me boy, <laughs> on yeah. facebook there was like 300 400 comments death threats people were sharing death it in threats. the tenant groups yeah but like I, it didn't bother me <laughs> i knew like the pub even daryl doesn't it. get death threats Oh no! <laughs> yeah. Do you get death threats? No, I don't. I don't get death threats. I no get people threats. calling you, uh, threatening. Yeah, they. Oh yeah, they threaten Daryl through me. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um. So so I I mean, you know the, the the old saying right? Like no publicity is bad publicity. I'm mm -hmm. sure there's other investors or people who like myself who became aware of you because of that article, that have led yeah. to good things. No investors, more exactly. investors. Yeah. Yeah, that was a big part of it, right? Um, a lot of the negative publicity or like, I guess, negative comments, they fade away in two weeks, but then the people who are inspired from it, they stay along with you pretty much your entire journey. So mm -hmm. it worked out very well. Our investment group, it's a free community online. Like we just have like a forum on Facebook. Like that's, that went up to like, it was a thousand at the time. Now it's 7,000 people. A lot of the growth was because of that article. Um, I have my own podcast, like, two to 300 downloads and that went up to thousands of downloads per episode just because of that article as well so a lot of good did come from it yeah wow. awesome well, so congrats. how many properties do you have now we fast forward a couple of years right <laughs> honestly i'm not i i don't keep count so like i definitely Ooh. sell properties and i i'll buy properties like it's it's like right now i'm in the middle of, of selling more than i am acquiring obviously with with current market conditions um, I want to say I'm probably in and around 24, 25 properties. I don't know what the unit count is because some of them are a mix of single families, like multis. All I look at is if the property is like hitting the ROI metrics I like. And if so, then I'll keep it. If not, then I'll just sell it off and either hold it in cash or reinvest it into some other asset. Where are we looking these days? Yeah. Um, so a big part of me and my journey, just to give you a little bit of background. So I got started investing when I was 23. I had about $40,000 saved, um, which is pretty good coming out of university. I wasn't in debt. I fortunately had scholarships and worked internships to pay off any of the debt I had. That being said, 40,000 wanted to get into real estate investing, can't buy anything in the GTA, not, <laughs> not even in Hamilton or even an hour out drive, right? Like everything was, was very expensive. So like I was pretty much forced to invest long distance right from the beginning. 
if I wanted to own 100% of the asset, which I did because I didn't know much at the time and I didn't want other people to pull their money in with me and take that risk because I'm going to be learning as I'm going along. So my first ever investment property was in Windsor. Um, so four hours away from Toronto. At that time, I purchased the property for $130,000 single family detached home. Um, and it was renting out for after finished rent to, uh, renovations, 1400 a month. So it was cash flow positive by, by a decent amount. Um, that being said, during that entire experience, at the beginning, I would drive back and forth from Windsor all the time. I'd take vacation days from work, literally to go and try to renovate the place because I was on a tight budget. Um, and from there, it's like, this is just not sustainable. Like, I cannot scale a portfolio this way. I'm going to kill myself doing it. And it, it really started putting in the importance of building uh, a power team, which I'm sure you guys are very familiar with, right? Like relying on your rock star agents, contractors, mortgage brokers, so on and so forth, right? And like once you have that team set up, you don't physically need to be there. So that being said, like long answer to your to your question is, is that I invest wherever the cash flow is good, wherever the numbers make sense. Um, I do own my primary in Toronto, but I just, for me right now in my stage, like the numbers in Toronto don't, don't make a ton of sense. And in the small, like single family duplex realm, right. It's like when you get into the bigger multi stuff. So I, I have properties in Northern Ontario in Windsor, um, in and around the London area. I, again, primary in Toronto, but don't really invest too heavily there, but I'll go wherever the numbers make sense. One of the questions I want to ask you first, cause you know, this, we get a lot of people who listen to the show and you know, they're, oh, here's another real estate investor pumping the market. And here's another realtor trying to get people to buy. And here's another developer who wants to make money off the backs of hardworking people, right? What would you, like, if you could choose right now and say, like, I think long-term, even the biggest uh, bears out there feel that eventually real estate goes up, but we're in for some tough times right now. Yeah. Do you think that, you know, if you could choose, would you want the market to go up again right from right now? And so then all the properties you already own or start, you know, being, being worth more money, you know, even though they're cash flow positive still, or yeah. would you like to see, you know, a dip in the market right now? So that's going to create more opportunities for an investor to be able to buy. Like, you know, Kiyosaki always says, you know, the, the, that's how people got rich is from the 2008 financial crisis. What camp are you in? I like to see prices go down. And, and the reason being why, the reason why I think the short term in the short term or medium term, I think this is good for, for the overall housing market. The reason why is because as you guys probably know, there was so much speculation going on, even as an investor, like investing in Windsor, Sudbury, uh, North Bay, other cities out there, there were people from Toronto just like overbidding these properties to the point where they wouldn't even cash flow positive anymore. And like, it makes sense not to cash flow positive in a growth market like Toronto, uh, Burlington in and around an hour from Toronto, but it makes no sense to drive off four hours away and start like bidding these properties up to erode all of the cash flow. I think this is going to wipe out a lot of the speculators and, and leave the investors who invest for the fundamentals, such as cash flow first, right? And equity, it'll come with real estate, but the main thing for me, like as you mentioned, is like the, the reason why cash flow is so important is like a time like this. If you're if you're cash flow negative, if you have a portfolio that I do and it was cash flow negative all like every single property, I would have claimed bankruptcy not too long ago, right? But the the reason why I'm able to hold through this time is, is because I don't care if my equity gets eroded by 50%. I wasn't going to sell it anyways. It doesn't make any difference, right? My rents have gone up. And so like, I'm still net positive when all is said and done. And that's what I thought your answer would be. And I wanted to ask that at the beginning so that when people are listening, you know, we're not here to bring information that says, Hey, 
you know, the market's only going to go up and, oh, you have to, you know, make sure that you, you buy now because tomorrow is going to be more expensive. <clears throat> like we are going in a downward market right now. There's no if, ands, or buts. Everything is going down. Prices are going down across the board, across Ontario. I'm not following all the other markets as well, but I'm hearing they're going down in, in a lot of the other yeah. provinces as well, right? Yeah. So what are, you, what are you looking at? Go ahead. Oh, sorry. What was that? Go ahead. Funny story. Let me hear it. Yeah, no, I just listed a property, a single family in Windsor. It's one of the earlier properties I bought because um, the the biggest risk for me right now is like when I look at the single family, especially in these like tertiary markets, is if there is a, a job, if there's like higher job losses and job losses are, are lagging indicators, right? So if I do expect job losses to increase and it impacts these tertiary markets more than these growth markets like Toronto, these single family households, if they can't afford it anymore, I'm like fronting all the costs. It's not like a multifamily property where I have like there's multiple tenants paying down, uh, paying, paying rent. Um, so I tried to list a single family property and it was appraised at 330 or 340 K in 2020, but I got an offer just uh, yesterday at 230,000. I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not accepting that. Right. So just what did it get appraised at now? I, I don't know. I never got it reappraised before listing it, but um, no offers on offer presentation date, except for one. And they lowballed it significantly. So like these tertiary markets are, I would say are in for a hard time. If you're looking at selling anything. Big time. Yeah. Big, big time. time. Not just Windsor, the berries, the Coburgs, uh, Kingston, like all these areas, right? That are out there, even if they're yeah. like larger, like towns and everything else. Can prices you just went up too fast. Bancroft, Can you imagine Bancroft? Bancroft, like those guys in Bancroft, the five people that bought houses <laughs> for like 2.4 million or whatever they did out there. Um, like, I hope they realized they were generational purchases when they made them, right? Yeah, insanity insanity yeah. absolute insanity we were before you jumped on we were talking about do you know what's going on with the paradise developments and all the uh... yeah yeah i saw that that twitter thread it's uh yeah i don't know like i part of me feels bad for them but but at the same time it's like you, have to you shouldn't bad. get you shouldn't get bailed out as well right like no one else is getting bailed out like stock investors don't get bailed out crypto investors don't get bailed out so why should real estate investors get bailed out 100 percent. listen coming I got... from a real estate investor exactly you know you know the game you're playing right There's me risk. too i got fucking yeah. pummeled everybody knows my story i got killed in 2009 destroyed and i i didn't even think about picketing or asking anybody for anything you know like okay. i went to my lender and i was like oh, please help me like do something <laughs> for me and the guy was a sweetheart he went from like 12 percent interest to 10 percent interest which i mean listen there was nothing left it didn't really make a difference but it was a nice gesture in a ridiculous market but right now like this is pandemonium and and what we didn't get to before tk is that this is the first one Right. This is the first one in Ontario. Like we had the the crazy picketing and uh, 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 like the investor. What was it called? The investor. Uh, they had like a rally investor rally in B.C. Right. We had that whole thing out there. And now this is like the first one here. But like, I don't think this is the only subdivision or pre-construction site that this will be a factor in. Like this is going to just spread now, like in China. Yeah. Right. And yeah. So actually funny. Oh. Sorry. And yeah, another thing I wanted to mention, I'm not going to name the builder or anything like that, but I know someone who works with a larger builder and there was four or five people who didn't close and they're choosing not to sue 
because uh, they don't even want to deal with the legal fees or anything like that. I don't know when they bought it or how much equity is put in, but they're just going to relist it on the market. So are, there are things that are happening in the background that are not like publicly made available, right? Like we're only sure. seeing the things that are on Twitter or what happened, headlines. What happened with the uh, deposit in those cases? Do you know? Like they did they forfeit? The yeah, forfeit yeah, the yeah. deposit, but we'll let you off and we'll resell it today. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah, and that's not uncommon. I think it's it's just what what's what's the capability of the builder, right? And so when you have like a small builder, small developer, I was dealing with somebody who has something similar on their plate. It's a small development. And it would have been, it would have represented forty uh, percent of the sales, right? And so that's a major, major, you know, n- knock to your to your game plan. So having a large scale like hundred, two hundred, you know, units or or whatever it is, and you got four or five people who can't close, you might just sometimes chalk it up just to a loss, just bad debt, and say, okay, you know what? Let's move on. Let's let's get it resold. Let's not tarnish our reputation because we've been in business fifty years. We want to be in business another fifty. And we don't want anybody to ever protest. Right. I imagine the builder that we're talking about on uh, Twitter has no choice. This isn't, you know, this isn't like they want to do this. They, you know, they probably, um, you know, signed a bunch of contracts for construction that were a lot higher than they expected. They probably had to sell at those prices that they did. There's probably all sorts of other costs that they incurred for, you know, timing delays, all sorts of stuff. So that's why those prices existed. Now that they've, you know, been able to sort of smooth things over, the market's down. Daryl was saying that they made their best choice. I said they had that was their only option was to list the next phase of homes at a lower price because the market won't pay any more than that. And they need to sell them. So it's like your hands are tied, you move forward, right? Mm-hmm. So what, what are you looking though. at now? It's going to start off though, like the next one and the next one and the next one. And then it's like now, then it, then there's repercussions to the market in general, because now if there's like, well, I can sign it. And then later on, I can just like go fucking make a sign and get so the, 300 the grand will, off. Yeah. Right? The media will pick up on that too, for sure. Uh, Austin, you said, you made a comment. You said right now I'm selling more than I'm, you know, acquiring. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, deleveraging that. Deleveraging, deleveraging. Um, kind of the risk that I mentioned before is is that job losses, they're lagging indicators. And for me, I do think things are going to get worse before they get better. So I want to make sure that I'm more liquid. I do have liquidity at the moment, but it's just it's always safer. Um, you know, just to have more liquidity in case things do take a turn for the worse, in case people don't make rent. And I just like so I'm planning worst case scenario ahead. And yes, I could have made $100,000 per sale more if I sold in February, but there's no point in crying over that spill right. milk, right? Like sure. it is what it is. And now I'm going to get my ducks in a row. That being said, I am still acquiring. So recently I've closed okay. on. That's what we want to know about. Yes. <laughs> what does a deal so, look like in this market? Because we're trying to find them out there and we want to know what you think it should look like in this market. Yeah. So, so kind of the deals I'm looking for are properties that have been stale on the markets for a while or expired listings. So fortunately I have access to the MLS board. So I go and take a look at expired multifamily listings in specific. I don't look at the big apartment buildings because as of right now, I find that the bigger buildings, they're still trading on price per unit, not cap rates, which I'm not going to pay someone a price per unit because I still have to put like 50 or 60% down because the income's usually super eroded on those buildings. So I'm looking at smaller multifamily properties because I feel like 
like most of those sellers are usually mom and pops who got into the market at the right time. Maybe they want to unload it. Maybe they're not looking to make the most money possible. And they've already tested the market as well. And they've never received an offer. So what I do is so I this try is, to- So duplex, triplex, and fourplex, residential. Fourplex, yeah, fiveplex, sixplex, like anything below the six unit sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. Just for our listeners, uh, yeah. So I go, I try to find like, stale listings. I'll give a call directly to the listing agent. Now, I don't recommend this to everyone. It depends on how familiar you are in the market and how like what what your investment expertise is, right? Because like realtors, especially listing realtors who have a market stale for a while, they're going to try to make the deal sound juicy. So you need to read in between the lines of what they tell you. I'm confident Shady. enough that I... <laughs> Those juicy deals that are Those listing stagnant. Agents. Hey. <laughs> no, yeah. no, don't worry. I don't know what the smell is. I don't know. I never smelled anything when I went there. It smelled fine. There's no and reason it's been on the market for 184 get days. The tenants didn't allow showings. They were sick. COVID <laughs> yeah. stuff. You know, that's it. 130 days. This is nothing in this market. It's normal. Don't look there. Yeah. Don't look so at that. You got to call them out on their BS, right? So when I speak with, I'm long distance when I'm investing. So I let them know transparently, hey, look, like chances are I'm not going to go down there myself, but I'm going to get a home inspector to go down there. Because either way, a home inspector is going to know much more than I do about the building nonetheless. But uh, you've had this property listed for 180 days. Um, you probably had multiple showings. You probably had multiple offers come through and fall apart. What's the general feedback you've been getting from investors? So you pretty much like force them to tell you what the general feedback is. And if it's something stupid, I'm like, oh, like the seller can't work around that. Like, I don't understand. Right. Like you just kind of call them out on it. And then the truth eventually comes out. So with one of these properties I was looking at, let's use an example in North Bay. It's a, it was a four unit. It was, it was on the market for 90 days. Um, the rent rolls were completely terrible. So I assumed automatically <laughs> that because the tenants were just not going to leave or, like it just numbers and cap rate didn't make sense, but I wanted to call them anyways, right? Like maybe we could strike a deal. So I called the the listing agent, told them the situation, uh, the deals I'm looking for, asked them what the feedback was. And they said that generally speaking, the rent rolls were too low. I was like, okay, like what are, what are the rent rolls? And she says, oh, you know what? Like things have actually changed since I listed it. So she didn't re-update her listing. She left it as is. So there are vacancies um, that were not disclosed on the mm. MLS because she never updated it, right? So an and, agent who wasn't on the ball? Yeah, an agent. That's, no. that's a lot of them, right? That's crazy. That's insane. <laughs> I didn't think we had any well, of those left. So hold on. are we? Is that preferable for your model that they're vacant or that they're full? Yeah, vacancy is always better. Vacancy is always better. Is so you can do the renovations and set market rents because a lot of the time these buildings or small multis I'm looking at, they're below market rent, right? right. So like, makes it a bit more tougher to get and a the income doesn't result. help with the financing because it's so little anyways and the residential financing you're not getting like with that the, income right? what's the price you probably have to get private a... financing to get it done and right? right or you have somebody who's got income to, to buy the yeah property. no so so the reason why i look at six units and below is i can still get the residential side yeah. i can still get uh rbc finances six units on the residential side so you get 80 percent loan to value regardless of what the income is they only they look at asset value for better or for worse right so the worst is you'll you could over leverage yourself if the income is trash, right? Because you're getting 80% nonetheless. But the better is is that you don't have to get expensive bridge loans or private money to kind of fund the 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 turnaround, the transition phase. Um, how how would you finance that though, like on the residential side? Because you, you would you would bring in an investor with credit and income, you would what, what would yeah, you yeah. So it depends. Like 
all of my all of my joint ventures are a little bit different now. Traditionally speaking, I would find an investor who's working a full-time job who wants to go in on the deal with me and we will determine how much capital to each put in. Um in some like when the market was hot, like investors were willing to put in all the capital, right? Uh and then it was easy to like get the work done, refinance it at a higher value than pull the capital out, but times have changed. So I'm putting my skin in the game as well to show that I have like confidence and I, I I'm willing to do the deal with them. Right. Mm-hmm. That being said, I'm not putting in 50% and they're putting in 50% because I'm doing all of the work, finding the deal, so on and so forth. So we figure out what that split is exactly. Um, and they hold the mortgage. And when you refinance it, we hit the 80% loan to value again, which makes life, it makes life easier. Cause when you go on the commercial side, again, like it's all on debt to service, debt coverage ratio, debt service ratio. And so a lot of the times with current interest rates, you're not going to be able to pull out 75% loan to value, right? Because the rates are just way too high. But at least on the A lender side, one, the rates are lower. And two, um, you're always going to get 80% loan to value on the A lender side because it's not necessarily uh, income driven on, on the loan to value that they give you, right? It's all it's all on appraised value, which is like usually on asset value. Um, not purchase price. On purchase, oh, price, yeah. appra- appraised value at the time after reno. So after he's got it all done. So that, like when you're doing your burrs, right? Yeah. We, when was the last time you refinanced for your burr and you you got the appraisal to get the whole 80% and all your money back? Yeah. So I buy a lot of deals privately. A lot of them, they appraise higher than what I buy it at. So for example, a recent deal, I closed on it in June with a partner, June of 2022. Uh, we bought it for 280. Uh, it appraised at 320. We put in 15 or 20k of work, and then it appraised at 430 or 440. Oh. Um, what what, so what then, month was that? That it appraised two months ago. Two months ago. Okay, so it's September. Okay, so in this yeah. market, you're successfully to pull out all the money, all the capital that was invested. It's not common. Those are unicorns, right? Like I'm not like when I when I underwrite these deals, it's not like oh, like all of the money is going to come out. When I underwrite the deal, I'm like okay, thirty thousand or so is going to be stuck in. Yeah. But this is assuming I build in the prices are going to drop further. I underwrite for drops in prices now. Of course, like, yeah. I don't think anyone can even say the market's going to be neutral. That's not conservative. Yeah. Um, and I also underwrite uh, rates are going to be higher cost. Yeah, rates renovation. higher, renovation costs higher, yeah. so on and so forth. And what? And if it, how much cash is going into this? What percentage of the? Yeah, this one was a very light project. So twenty percent down of the two hundred ninety k purchase price. Renos were fifteen or twenty k, and closing call. I don't remember all in. It wasn't much. It was less than hundred k for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's a great. Yeah. And then what's deal. the so, rent? What's the rent on this thing? The rent one. The rent is. Uh, it was twenty one hundred, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so the, like the projects that I'm doing right now, I need to be in and out quickly. I, I don't like being, I don't want to be in a project that's a year or two years long because it's very difficult to underwrite for that in this current market. So like I'm looking at deals where I can do a turnaround and reappraise within three to four months, right? Because that's the minimum. That's the minimum that the A-lenders will let you do in three months to refi. Even but, on a private purchase, no matter what? Uh, I'm not sure about that, actually. I think with Scotia Bank they do want you to own it for at least three months before you refile, like even on a private or anything like yeah, that. Okay. But the big thing is, is that like I justify why it has a higher value. It's not because like I just sat on it and the value went up in three months or I bought just right. So like with this four unit in North Bay, 
one of the units came vacant. Um, uh, the other three units, I gave them money and they took it and they're going to go transition and find another. So cash for keys, if your viewers mm -hmm. don't know what that is, right? Basically negotiating with the tenants, giving them the option that, hey, look, we're going to be doing extensive renovations here. If you guys want to transition to another place, we're happy to give you money in exchange for you finding another place. If not, that's okay, right? Like you give them can the you, option. Can you disclose to us what that was, what, what those terms were? Yeah, cash it was, uh, yeah, it was $5,500 for two of the, each tenant, but the third tenant was $2,500 and I let them stay for three or four months rent-free for those three or four months, but the rent what was like five or 600 bucks. So it didn't matter. Okay. So right? 10 10 X wow. on one rent, five X on another. And yeah. that's what got them to, to go. And and that was the big thing of why people didn't want to do the deal as well, because the rent rolls are like extremely low. Mm -hmm. um, but one of them was already vacant when I bought it. I was able to negotiate the price even lower than listing, um, significantly lower than listing price. And I already have someone who reached out to me saying, hey, look, I, I've heard that there's going to be vacancies on this building. I'll buy it off of your hands for 100K more than you paid for it. Not even touching anything, right? Yeah. Like. It's like you gotta have to solve the problems, but at the same time, there's a huge risk. Like when you're, you know, especially in Ontario, you can't just simply turn around tenants at your free will. You have to negotiate with them, and some tenants are not willing to negotiate. That's within their right. That's perfectly fine. And if they're not willing to leave, you're just gonna like you're gonna have to have another exit strategy or try to figure something <laughs> out. Because how often does that happen to you? Another exit strategy. I've, I've had yeah. some good luck. I've had some good luck. Um, I've had I've had some really good luck, but yeah. I know a lot of people who haven't. So how, how about you? Like, how often is it the tenant just says, I don't care how much you offer me. I'm not going anywhere. This is my home and good luck to you. It happens. It happens. Not a lot. It depends. Like I try to get familiar with the tenant quality beforehand. It, like the highest percentage, there's like different sort of tenants. When you're dealing with like younger couples, it's easier for them to pack up and transition to another place. Even middle-aged people who have an income, the hardest are obviously uh, the lifers, the people who intend to live here for the rest of the life. So if they've stayed here for 15 or like 20 years, generally speaking, you can give them a blank check and they probably will just throw it back in your face and say like, we just don't want to move. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So like, I would say, be careful about the buildings that you buy and understand the tenant quality. Um, because if it's a, again, if it's a building full of like elderly people, then there's not much you can do in that case. So what kind of due diligence time are you getting on these deals now so to, to figure these things out? Yeah, it's usually two or three weeks. Um, it doesn't take like, again, like I'm doing smaller stuff. It's not these bigger buildings. So four unit, it's very simple. Like you just get an inspector in there. That's one day. And uh, you go in and negotiate with the tenants. That's like two or three days. And pretty much by then you can determine whether to waive or not. I got a deal I'm working on right now where the buyer, it's a duplex. And so the buyer, I'm, I'm the listing agent. And so the buyer said, we want to um, buy the property, but we'll only buy it if you get an, like the rent up in the basement. Okay. So I was like, oh, you know what? This could harden the relationships and all that kind of stuff. We had another offer where the tenant was going to be asked to leave. It was going to be converted to single family. They said they were going to, you know, use it as single family, right? Which is what we were going to do. So serve an N12. And so I called the landlord and I said, like, look, he's willing to pay us more money. It's a good deal, uh, but you have to approach the tenant. And, you know, it, the other option is we wait for someone else where they could actually want her to leave. And we actually were in negotiations with someone else the week before. So he said, all right, let's try it. So he reached out to the tenant and said, this is our situation. We're trying to find someone, but everybody, it's either they want more money from you or they want you out. And this is what the guy's proposing. And it sounds really good and yada, yada, yada. And she said, you know what? If I don't have to leave, 
is only 300 bucks more. And she says, I'll do it. So I'm, I'm working on getting that lease done on Monday um, nice. for the tenant to pay more money and the, and the buyer to be happy that they're getting market rent, like pretty much close to it. Yeah, that's the big thing is the variance between the current rent and the market. If it's like a 60% gap, then yeah. don't <laughs> count on giving them a big cash out or they're just not going to leave. Exactly. Right. Sure. Yeah, yeah they're going to stay forever. Yeah. I, I, I tried to buy a building once. It was a small little building on, on Eglinton and it had a couple of uh, apartments above it. And I mean, we wanted it for development, so we really wanted it to be vacant, right? So we were like, uh, they had month to month rents and it was like on some little weird piece of paper and i was like we, we just we the rents are so low on this deal like i i don't know like we were just using it as a negotiation tactic right and what because i knew I, I mean they're month to month we could have got rid of them no problem uh one way or another but so the the agent i'm talking to thinks she's a genius and comes back like that afternoon, she's like, oh, I solved the problem. I just signed like two year leases with both of the tenants upstairs for like more money. And I was like, oh, you idiot. Like you just killed the whole deal. But so 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 how often do you run into realtors in these like tertiary markets that just have no clue and actually are doing their clients a disservice and have helped you out by just having no clue what they're doing? Yeah, uh, very often. Very often? <laughs> very often. Yeah, so that's the big thing about real estate, right? Like there's inefficiencies um, that the stock market doesn't have. And as savvy real estate investors, when you find these inefficiencies, you can take advantage of it. So with these listing realtors that I mentioned to you earlier, they're definitely not looking out for their client's best interest. Uh, they're not looking out for my best interest. Times are tough for them in these tertiary markets. So they're if they can double under commission... Godspeed, they're gonna double on that commission, right? I think so some, some of them is not willingly. I think some of them it's just they don't they don't know anything about investment properties. Right. Yeah. So they're yeah. they're not trying to screw over their clients. I'll I'll give some of them some the benefit of the doubt. Sure. Some of them for the double ending and stuff like that for sure. You know, yeah, and I wasn't even about it. And I'm yeah. not even implying that they're doing it on purpose. I'm just yeah. saying just because they just there's no training. There's too many of them. They they don't have the right yeah. to be doing it. They sell it. single family. They've been doing it for a while. And then all yeah. of a sudden their friend says, hey, you want to sell my fourplex? Right? Yeah, and then that exactly. becomes the problem. Yeah. They don't know how to price it. And a lot of the time it's the buyer that's educating them along the way. They don't understand the financing. I, I think that's the most important part. If you don't understand mm -hmm. how your product is going to be financed, how the heck can you understand how to market it or like what buyer is going to be able to buy it? Right? Most of them yeah. don't understand their area of expertise. I mean, how are they going to yeah. translate that over to something new? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, sure. so, so tell me, like, give us a story of, uh, you know, uh, uh, an example of a scenario where, you know, they priced it low or they gave you some inside information that helped you out or like, give us a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So there was, uh, a, a listing realtor I called in Windsor um, and he had a property listed for his client. It was a five unit. Um, and then he also had another three unit that he was going to list with that client. And so I was interested in both. Uh, so we got the five unit done on the first, like it was like the first two or three hours and we signed something conditional, like at, any realtor knows, like in the first two hours, if someone calls you, it's like, Oh, like I want to buy this thing two weeks condition. It's like, why? like, you just listed it, give it a day for the calls to come in. Right. Like, sure. but I got it under contract. 
Um, and then I got it lower than what it was listed for. Then sure enough, there was a million calls raining in. And then he's like, Hey, look, I don't care if you buy it or not, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you got to make your decision quick. I'm like, no, 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 I have this under contract for two weeks. I'm going to do my due diligence and just make sure everything's okay. And with the three, once we waived conditions on that and everything worked out, of course, the, the seller realized it could have gotten 50 or 60 K higher. Um, and they told the realtor, but what was done was done. What ended up happening with that three unit that he also had, he was like, look, I can slide. I'm going to list this on the MLS. Like, why don't you do your due diligence on all of this as well? Right. Beforehand. So when it goes on the MLS, like you can, you can make a move quickly. And that's what I did. And then that's what ended up happening. And I got it under contract. And sure enough, there was also tons of calls coming in after. Um, He double ended. He double ended both. Yeah. Did yeah. you close on both or did you flip any to the herd that came after you? <laughs> no, no, I ended up closing on both. Uh, I flipping is not kind of a bad sign idea. on both. Yeah. Yeah. yeah do you wholesale as well or no? Yeah. So I do do wholesaling. For those who don't know, like wholesaling is basically getting properties under contract. A lot of the times, the distressed properties from sellers where the MLS is not the best option. And let, let me clarify this. I know when a lot of people hear wholesaling, like, oh, you're taking advantage of the seller, so on and so forth. One of the questions that we ask when we're qualified, the sellers, is, is why don't you list with the realtor? You're going to make more money, right? Like no seller wakes up one day and is like, oh my God, I could have listed it with the realtor. That's everyone's first option. Your last resort is to usually Google I need to sell my house quickly for cash, right? So we ask all of these questions from the seller. And if it qualifies and we let them know, hey, look, what we can do is we're going to cut a profit from this deal. What we do is we find out what the property is going to be worth after it's renovated, our renovation costs, our profit margin, realtor fees, lending fees, so on and so forth. And whatever we subtract off, that's going to be an offer price. Again, like if you can list on the MLS, we suggest you do it. But if this is your only option, then we'll be more than happy to bring you an offer. And a lot of those sellers are in odd positions. So right now we're negotiating with one where they've recently moved to the States and they just want to get rid of the property. They don't want to deal with any realtors. They don't want to deal with like multiple walkthroughs. They just want to deal with one single buyer and get the transaction done smoothly. So how we go about it is we spend like tens of thousands of dollars marketing. Um, and it could be Google ads. Uh, through our SEOs, uh, mails. I'm not sure if you guys ever received those handwritten letters. We buy houses cash, right? Like we send we send those out. And handwritten. Handwritten. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> it looks handwritten. <laughs> it was initially handwritten. Then it was photocopied. <laughs> but uh, we send those out. And let's say we get 100 calls. Maybe only two or three of those people will qualify. Because like, 97% of them are better to list on the MLS than to like sell it off market, right? And what ends up happening is, is that once we have it under contract, we have the APS, it's assignable. We can either close on it ourselves, do the renovations and flip it. We can close on it, clean it up, take care of the problems, then just sell it without even doing the renovations. Or we can just assign it to another investor. So one of the, one of the deals that we got in... Um, it was, it was in Kirkland Lake, which is like six or seven hours away from Toronto. Tertiary of tertiary of tertiary. Super markets. tertiary, like 2000 <laughs> population. We got it under contract for $175,000 or nine units. Okay. And we assigned it for, I believe it was $300,000. So we collected a $125,000 check. Wow. Uh, for that. that was like one of the larger assignments. Yeah. That being said, again, like it's, 
a lot of whole, wholesaling doesn't work. like when the when the on market inventory hurts, wholesaling hurts double, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you deal with wholesaling properties, a lot of the time the offers cannot be conditional. Mm-hmm. because it's it's the contract is either firm or the time that you have the contract is not for very long like maybe two or three days or four days or five days whatever not a very long time so whoever the investor you find is likely needs to be a cash buyer because the properties are super distressed they're not going to get financing from the bank a lot of the times or um they need to uh i'm losing my mind here or they need to go clean they need to go clean offer so like no conditions whatsoever. So it's a very small buyer pool you're working with as well. Yeah. Well, that's wholesaling in a nutshell. Yeah. And and yeah, the, the reputation is, you know, there for, for a reason because there are people in every business, real estate, developers, wholesalers. Like, you know, there's always going to be bad apples, yeah. right? Who are out there who are not. There's a lot of people. bad apples in wholesalers for sure. Yeah. I, and, and I'll and, be and the I, first to say, admit it. I'd say the same thing in real estate. There's people who just aren't looking out for their client's best interests. But there is a reason it exists is because there's a service. There's a reason that people need it. Like you, all those points you mentioned is it does make sense for some people. And I've met those people. Like They'll come to us and say, all right, you're a realtor. We don't want any showings. We don't want on the yeah. MLS. We don't want to sign. We don't want my neighbors to know. Yeah. I don't want the guy in the next door to know that I'm selling. It's like, you want me to find you a buyer, but I can't even let the guy next door. Like he's right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like He's going to be one of the first people to know if he just no. does any type of search online. Right. Mm-hmm. And that exists. And that's a service that people need is they want it's a very small population, uh, but exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so are you noticing that there are more opportunities right now than there were before? Not necessarily. A lot of the calls we've been getting now are people who've tested the market delisted and it's like all right i'm gonna try to sell it for cash offline it's like hey man we're gonna offer you way less than what you would have gotten on the market so <laughs> you're you're no asking way too much on the mls yeah 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 and there's a reason why it didn't sell that's like a yeah. vast majority of the calls now people who've already tested it and like they're motivated but they're not motivated enough to sell it on the mls for whatever reason um yeah. that being said i would say that it's uh it's a bit more difficult now if anything there are there are more motivated sellers but it's a bit more difficult because people's expectations are a lot higher because um they're motivated still for at... yeah february prices exactly maybe exactly. june have people come down to earth like at least till june july yet or <laughs> aren't we back in like 2020 pricing in some places there, yeah people are catching a falling knife in windsor like again like that offer that i got 220k that was like that's like late 2019 pricing you know or early mm-hmm. 2020 pricing yeah. so so there is not more so if you are you looking on the mls like are you noticing inventory starting to climb or you're just yeah not more deals Everything on the mls shit. uh honestly i'd say i'm getting more deals on the mls now that are within my comfort zone because a lot of these properties are not in like they're still financeable they're not like in the conditions of off market where you need to get private money i'm trying to stay away from high interest loans at the moment and only look at things with quote unquote like lower interest rates that qualify for the a lender side so again like the entire strategy is looking at these older expired listings and seeing if anything has changed so it is cold calling like the vast majority of people i call nothing has changed from the time they've listed it to when i'm calling them right but there's those odd cases like one in every 10 or like 20 calls you're gonna have someone's like yeah a lot has changed you look like when it was on the mls it was fully tenanted now there's four units vacant out of six i'm like oh perfect is your seller still interested in selling and then we work a deal that way so mls or like off market in the sense that it was terminated or expired 
Right. And, and but, what kind of interest rates are we looking at these days? Yeah, it's uh, the last yeah. one that I got financed. You heard him die right there. It hurts. Right? <laughs> that was like a knife going through. How much did you say? Like five to six percent is what I'm seeing on the A lender side. Um, oh, but oh, I've heard oh. that it's dropped more. Oh. Still like brutal. one years I... and different things that you can get like to, to get a little bit of a break. Um, yeah, B lenders obviously are, are higher. What about like transferable commercial, mortgages commercial rates on any of these? My next, have... my next question is seller financing. Yeah. So are you, because that's what we're playing with now on yeah. any of the, the bigger stuff is, is all seller financing. So what is well, it that... I'm not even asking seller that. financing. Like what about transferable mortgages that like... Or, or we're assume, one assuming our... the mortgage and stuff, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah so for, I guess like seller financing, I've done it before. It, if used right, it could work. But a lot of people use seller financing incorrectly because at the end of the day, seller financing is still like a short-term loan that you have to have an exit strategy in a year or two from now. If your VTB is, if your vendor take back is only two years long, and I'm speaking in apartment building specifically. I say this because it's a fresh example of someone that I've heard of who's purchased a 20 or 30 unit in London at like a two cap but they got a hundred percent seller financing. I'm like, mm. dude, uh, at 0% rate, a uh, seller yeah. financing. I was like, great. Yeah. You're making a 2% spread, but like, what's your exit strategy in those two years? Cause like, yeah. they're not going to extend it again and again. That being said, like seller financing works well if, if used correctly and you have your exit strategies planned, but you know how it is. Like a lot of investors, they are overly optimistic. So their exit in two to five years, oh, we'll figure it out or we'll be able to Rates will go back down. Units we need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but, and it's uh, just uh, like- <laughs> 100% for 0% in two years. I mean, God, either it's the worst deal of all time or there's gotta be ways to get that thing at least to like a four cap in two years, no? Two per yes. two cap, like you're you're getting killed. You're getting killed. You're getting killed, yeah. You gotta yeah. turn around like 60% of the building to break even. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, um, the question Daryl asked was actually a really good question. Is that part of your due diligence too? Is like, hey, maybe these guys have some really great financing that I can assume. Um, not necessarily. So for me, I don't mind having cash injected. I feel like it keeps me a little bit more responsible with my money situation of knowing where my cash is at all time. I don't like to get over. I've I've, I've had cases where I've leveraged up significantly, and the deal went really well. Uh, turned over the units I needed. But during that entire process, I felt uneasy. It's just, it's all risk appetite at the end of the day for people. Um, again, I'm not opposed to vendor take backs, but a lot of the time when I need it, it's like to cover the down payment portion. Um, and I would prefer to raise equity than debt. And the reason why I prefer to, it, everyone's different risk tolerance, right? The reason why I prefer to raise equity and debt is, is that if let's say shit hits the fan, I don't know if I'm allowed to start pardon. If things hit the fan and in in like three years, you weren't able to get the returns that you thought you were going to get, or even you're losing money, let's say hypothetically, your equity partners are all in with you. Like you guys all put in money and your guys are all in the losing situation. You guys don't want to sell, right? People are going to wait, hold it off. You're going to try to restructure the debt or whatever, try to make it work. But when you're dealing with debt partners, they're going to want their money back no matter what. They don't care. Like if the market drops, they probably want the mark the money back even more so, right? They're not in it with you for the equity. So that being said, like equity, yes, you're like, 
you're not making as much upside for sure, right? Like definitely not. But at the same time, you're limiting your downside pretty significantly. And everyone's goal, all equity partners' goals are goals are aligned. Whereas with debt partners, it's like they want to maximize their ROI by the interest rate. You want to get whatever turnaround and ARV after repair value that you need to get. But if you're not able to hit that and your debt partner's not cooperative, then you got to figure out your situation, right? But that being said, again, it's just my... It was my risk tolerance. I know it works well for a lot of other investors. I, I think the issue with what Daryl was asking and what I was sort of leaning towards is on bigger deals. So when you have like big commercial properties, yeah. they generally have a lot of debt. Their, their loan yeah. to value is already there on the debt. And so they've maybe got refinancing a couple of years ago. It could be CMHC financing, whatever. So assuming that mortgage could be close to the same mm -hmm. amount of debt you want to carry in the property. But the places you're buying... They're usually paid off. They got very little mortgages, if anything. Exactly. Assuming a $60,000 mortgage at 1.5% doesn't do you any good. Right? Yeah, yeah. When you're doing you. the bigger projects, you need to get vendor take-backs. <laughs> That's the only yeah, it's, way it's, to it's, no, it's an, it's, When you work. assume a mortgage, it's not a vendor take-back. It's, it's an A lender. It's, it's another lender. Yeah. But because the terms with that they have with that mortgage are more favorable than the market, you're assuming the mortgage. So it's not so the vendor. The, the only thing about that is is that are, isn't isn't it aren't they doing that because the uh it's benefiting the seller not necessarily the buyer like the seller doesn't want to pay penalties on those mortgages because it's, it's probably not, like, it's not just that more so it's the seller gets more money this way right the seller yeah. will get more money for the purchase price because the cost of debt is the less that's more valuable to the buyer yeah right? so the, the buyer says mm -hmm. look if i'm going to get seven percent at the bank or you're going to give me your three percent mortgage that's got 40 months left on it. I can you know, pay you a little more. I can pay a little bit more money to yeah. you on the purchase price. So yeah. And, the seller. and if you top me up with a VTB at zero, yeah, there's usually a happy medium. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talking. Yeah. I, I guess it just rolls back again. Like it, it makes a lot of sense for the right deals. You just, again, like exit strategies. If, if the, if the assumable mortgage is going to be done in two years, you can't confidently say that rates are going to be, what like when they got financed the reason probably why they got the loan to value that they did is because they probably refinanced at like a two percent 2021 yeah no but right? you're looking so like, i guess for stuff that makes sense with today's rates that you can yeah. scoop that little arbitrage on when they have an assumable loan right because exactly. right i mean that's a that's also probably a unicorn as you put it before right like uh mm -hmm. let's 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 head down towards the end now with um you know predictions yeah. right we're at the end of the year it's the end of 2022. Yeah. When do we What's see blood? Happen? Yeah. When uh, the interest blood? rates, prices, where are they going? Oh, man. I I never like answering the prediction because uh, when I listen back to this and I'm wrong, I'm gonna be like, oh, why did I even open my mouth? But uh, long story short, like kind of my thoughts are in Canadian housing, things are probably going to continue to softening. I, a lot of things that people have already said, like listings are probably going to shoot up in and around spring. You probably know boots on the ground. Just a lot of sellers are like, no, things are going to get better by spring. Let's wait and list till then, right? But if demand doesn't, if your demand doesn't come back, you just have a surplus of listing. Because what's really keeping the housing market tight right now is the lack of listings, right? And if you just pump a bunch of listing and the demand's not going to keep up, which it probably won't because now your rates are going to get... Like, the Fed's meeting, the rates are going to continue to shoot up, right? They're not slowing down. The terminal rate has increased to like, I think it was five to 5.25%. So you expect the expectations for rates have increased. So people's buying power is going to be eroded even more by spring next year, right? So like the offers that people are going to put down are going to be less than the offers that they can put down today because you're just going to qualify for less. They're not going to have any more down payment. So I think that there's going to be continual 
um, softening of the market. The Fed's tone was still pretty hawkish. Um, I know like people, like some people are like, oh, like they're bluffing. They have to sound hawkish. I don't know. Like may- maybe that is the case, but um, I'm, I'm a guy that doesn't like to, I like to hedge my bets, right? So if someone's going to be very hawkish, especially the people who are controlling the rates, like I would like to take that as a like, pan out what my worst case scenario is using their language. Sure. But, but yeah, I think things are going to get a lot worse next year. I wholeheartedly agree. I This is what I'm looking at. And I actually yeah. I had an interesting conversation with somebody last night about it. And I think that this will be very, very, very important. If we saw retail numbers from previous months or previous weeks, they've been pretty soft, right? We see that employment is stable at the moment going into the busiest retail season of the year where normally I think there would be an increase in employment, but right now we're kind of steady. We have a lot of very nice people currently holding on to people that more than likely could have or should have been let go a month or two ago, hoping that there's this busy retail season coming up. And we have retailers with inventories that are piling up more stuff on the water on the way and demand falling off a cliff as everybody's you know, cost of living increases. I have a feeling after boxing week or month this year, however long they they spread that sale out, we are in for an employment reckoning of, of like unbelievable proportions. Like if I use my friend who has a, you know, they, they have a, a few stores. It's, it's not a major establishment, but they're a family business and they definitely have people that they, have been looking at for a while that, you know, at some point that person and that person and that person are going to have to go. And if we don't hit targets or if things happen like a couple of weeks ago, like I'm telling you, people are starting to ring the panic bell. Yeah. And so when that happens, the inventories, I mean, I got to think people are starting to think like, shit, I should put it on now. There's going to be a tsunami. Am I off? Am I crazy? Tell me, TK, how crazy am I? Well, the the rate hikes alone have the power to make people want to sell. If that gets compounded with job losses. Oh, man. Yeah. And picketing at every new subdivision that people bought in in the last six months. Like, holy cow. That's the big thing, right? Like, there's still strong job growth, um, wage growth. And so if there are job losses, if tenants stop paying rents and you're an investor with condos with one tenant, they're not paying your rent you become a forced seller overnight, right? Right. So when the BOC's top target is wage growth and employment, right? So like the only thing that can help people afford things right now is wage growth, right? And more employment. And that's public. And the government's trying right? to make sure that yeah. they don't raise it more than 1%. <laughs> that that's destroyed. No. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Well, on a Austin, good note. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. This has been great. Uh, I think you're you're doing amazing. You've got like a a super good solid foundation. Smart I think this guy. is just like the very like beginning for you. I think right now you're going through you know the necessary growing pains that every investor goes through. I think having this or the market, end <laughs> having this market Be in the beginning, right? Like you know in the beginning of your of your investing career. I know you've been doing it for a while, but you know like this this part of the investing career only makes it better long term. And I think that yeah. you'll learn a ton of lessons over the next couple of years that'll help you grow into you know, a behemoth uh, in the future. So good yeah. for you. And hopefully we can get you back on the show next year. We'll see how good your predictions uh, 
turnout. <laughs> I appreciate it, Daryl and TK. You guys are crushing in the podcast space. I'm a big fan of your podcast, so it's an honor to cool. be on. Thanks, awesome. Austin. Thanks, Thanks for Austin. the three of you that are still listening, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay.